0: Let's jump in today. If you don't have a Bible, grab a Bible. We're going to be digging into that um, today and and open up to Matthew chapter 7. That's one of the stories I want to share with you uh, today, but actually today we're going to start with a little bit of story time. Does anybody like story time? When you were in school, did you like story time? Just admit it. Yeah, that's fine. like story time. So uh, two different stories. Um, The first little story I'm going to share with you, you've probably heard it before, but I'm going to tweak it just a little bit and you may be able to tell uh, where I tweaked it. So once upon a time there were three little pigs. That's right, there were three little pigs. And they lived with their mother. And one day their mother told them that they were old enough now to move out of the apartment and stop paying her rent because they needed to, to grow up and become adult little pigs, I guess. And so it was time for the pigs to go into the world and to make a living of their own. And so she told her sons, the three little pigs, watch out for the big, bad Wolf. That's right, because he will eat you. And she also said, she gave him this advice, build your houses nice and strong so that you will be safe from the wolf. And then she said, goodbye, my sons, and off they went. So the first little pig, probably not the brightest little pig uh, in the pen. And so he went out and he built his house full of straw. And so the big bad wolf came by and the wolf huffed and he puffed. And he blew that straw house down, and later that night he had pork chops for dinner, the other white meat. So then the second little pig went out, and he said, oh, I'm going to build my house as well. And he built his full of sticks. And so, you know, the big bad wolf came, and he uh, knocked on the second little pig's door, and he said, little pig! Let me come in. That was my best wolf voice. Little pig, let me come in. To which the second pig replied, Not by the hair, say it with me, of my chinny-chin-chin. That's right. And so the wolf was furious, and the wolf huffed, and he puffed, and he blew that house full of sticks down. Excuse me. So now we get to pig number three. And this was one smart swine. He built his house full of bricks, and no matter how much that big bad wolf huffed and puffed, he couldn't blow pig number three's house down. It was, and here's our key word for today, his house was unflappable. Say it with me, unflappable. Unflappable. It's kind of fun to say, unflappable. So here's my first question for you after this first story. Which pig would you want to model your life after? Pig number one, pig number two, or pig number three? Probably number three. I know the answer already. Okay, so here's our second story, and this one's not about three little pigs. This one's about two builders, and you have it right in front of you. So Matthew, Matthew chapter seven, let's look at this. Matthew chapter seven. Starting in verse twenty-four, and this is what Jesus says. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is foolish, like a little pig, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So here's my second question. Which builder Would you rather be like the first builder who built his house on the rock or the one who built his house on the sand? Probably number one. That's right. It's like an interactive game show today. How about that? In fact, our answer to that question, our answer to that question, even though it seems very, very simple, is really going to determine what we do with this entire sermon series that we've just been through. The last three chapters of Matthew, that question right there, which builder will you be like, answers that question. It's been quite a journey the last uh, month or so, month and a half, as we've been through this sermon series today. We're wrapping up this series called Turning the World Right Side Up. And we've been looking at Jesus' epic sermon up on the mount, the sermon on the mount, um, in chapters 5, 6, and 7. And I don't know about you, but I've been really challenged I've been really challenged. These, these teachings of Jesus, you can't really just take them as some good advice. Because I, what I love about the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus kind of says, it's this way or it's this way. It's black and white. There's no, really, there's no room in the middle. You can't just kind of take it or leave it. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you can't stay the same. Everything that we've been looking at, everything that we've been looking at now culminates in this one story. You thought it was just a nice little story about two little builders. This is the defining story of the Sermon on the Mount because the way that you answer that question determines what you're going to do with the entire story. And so Jesus wraps up this entire sermon, not with more rules, not with more laws, not with more things to throw on our backs, to weigh us down. He ends the entire sermon with a story. Jesus loves stories because he knows that they're the language of the human heart. And so he tells us a story about two builders. And I, and I was thinking about this this week. I, I always try to read between the lines when we're, when we're dealing with some familiar stories. And I was thinking this week, you know, Jesus is really arrogant, isn't he? <laughs> right? So listen to what Jesus says. Um, Jesus says, build your life on me. It's all about me, right? Right? <laughs> We're going to get to answer that question a little bit later on, but I want to leave that one hanging for you. Why is Jesus so arrogant here? Why does Jesus say it's all about me? Well, a little bit of backstory here. I was thinking this week, Jesus probably actually knows quite a bit about building, doesn't he? I mean, we know that Jesus' father, Joseph, was a carpenter. And so Jesus follows in the family business before he begins his ministry. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is referred to as a carpenter. So Jesus... Jesus gets it. He's not just randomly making up this story about buildings and foundations. He knows the difference probably by now between a well-crafted foundation and between one that's going to collapse when the wind and the storms come. There's all sorts of uh, seas and, and, and all over the place, lakes where Jesus is from. And so he knows what it's like when the storms come. But I was also thinking, when we hear stories like The Three Little Pigs... And when we hear stories about the two builders, my guess is, you probably get it too. This isn't rocket science. Because I'm guessing that there's no one here today that hasn't been through a storm. That hasn't been through the rain. Because you know, when you think about it, it always rains, doesn't it? Not just in March and April, but it rains, in our lives. One of the greatest things about being the church, one of the greatest things we always talk about doing life together, is that we get to celebrate together when things are going really well and we celebrate the joys and the victories. But it also means that when the storms come, we stick close together. And a part of having a good foundation is being a part of a community. Every single one of you, when you've faced a crisis in your life, isn't the first thing that comes to mind either, wow, I'm so glad that I have a community, or, wow, I feel completely and utterly alone? Isn't that usually the case? It's not when, it's not if the storms come, it's when the storms come. And so when we do life together, we start to see that all of us, all of us battle storms in our life, lives and from time to time, we also get threatened by big bad wolves. There's a reason those stories stick with us. is because they're not just children's stories, they're about life. Sometimes we face head-on the forces of evil. Some of you know a person, maybe it's you right now here today, that's wrestling with some really dark things that are much bigger than you are, that no matter how hard you try to beat it or how hard you try to get past it on your own strength, on your own willpower, and you conjure up all this faith, if I just believe harder, but for some reason, you can't get past it. Some things, there's just, sometimes there's just things that are bigger than us. But being, uh, being in the church and, and being a leader and kind of being on the front lines, I also see a lot of lives that when the storms come, it's apparent that there's some people that are able to withstand the wind and then there's some other people whose lives just fall down and crash. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you can think of some people in your own life right now that are similar to that. And for some reason, some people, when those winds and those waves and the storms and the rains come not only does their house crumble, but it's almost like their lives never fully recover. Or when the wolves come, they're much more receptible to temptation. It just kind of gets them. There's a reason that some lives stand and some lives fall. And as why we read in Matthew chapter 7, I think Jesus just nails it. Jesus just nails it here. Jesus gives us the key to an unflappable life where we don't have to cry, Simon, anymore. We don't have to cry anymore. Say with me, unflappable. Unflappable. Jesus gives us the key in Matthew chapter 7 to an unflappable life. So I want to dig a little bit deeper into that. So if you've got your Bibles open, let's go to Matthew chapter 7. So I'm going to start by just making a few observations. So observation number one is this. We are all in the building business. We are all in the building business, not as your job, not as a vocation. We are all in the building business. We are all building something. And what you and I are building is a life. We are building a life. We're, we're building families. Maybe some of you are trying to build a company or to build a business. Some of us careers. We're all trying to build a character, the kind of people that we're going to become. We're all building something. Observation number two, observation number two, storms, and in parentheses, wolves, for those of you that are thinking of that story, come, and what do storms do? They test us. Storms come, and they test what we've been building. And the fact is that none of us are immune to that. The wolf came to all three pigs, didn't he? He didn't say, oh, there's a house built full of bricks. I'm not going to come to them. The winds and the waves and the big bad wolf came to all the pigs. The storms came to both the houses. There is no such thing as a storm-free zone in this world. No matter where you live, no matter how much faith you have, scripture tells us that the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. We're all in this together. We're all, when the storms come and the waves come, we're all in the same boat. No pun intended. We're all in the same boat. So just elbow your neighbor really quick and said, say, welcome to the boat. Welcome to the boat. It's the world that we live in. The storms come. And I just have a feeling some of you are facing those right now. Some of you are facing those storms right now here today. It's just kind of the world that we live in. In our world, families have to send their children off to war. In our world, companies downsize and lay people off. In our world, children, no matter what age they are, sometimes our kids make bad decisions <laughs> and it just rips their parents' heart right out. In our world, in our world, Cancer happens not just to people on TV or those people. Cancer happens to people that we love in our world. In our world, married people drift apart and families are broken. In our world, addictions are a very real thing. And for many of you, you've been deeply hurt and wounded in the aftermath. In our world. And that's our world. That's your world. World. And when storms come and when evil knocks, the buildings that we've been building, our lives, our character is tested. Our very lives are tested. That's just the reality of it. Observation number three. Observation number three. This is just a really quick one. Some buildings stand and others fall, right? When the storms come, some buildings stand and others fall. As I said earlier, some people, they just have the ability to weather the storm. They're unflappable. When the enemy comes knocking, they have this ability to resist, not in their own strength, but in a strength that's greater than theirs. But at the same time, others don't. Which leads us to observation number four, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time today. The difference... The difference between standing and falling is the foundation that you choose to build your life on. The difference between standing and falling is the foundation that you choose to build your life on. Anyone in the construction industry will tell you that. We have a few contractors and carpenters and architects in the congregation. And, and when we go and, and you hear about us doing these, these uh, home repairs for needy families around the city, we don't do anything until we lay a foundation. We don't worry about what color the carpet's going to be and, and what color the cabinets are going to be in the kitchen and, and what kind of wallpaper we're going to have in the bathroom. And, and we don't worry about what kind of ceilings and, and, uh, and, and carpet and, and what the exterior and what the siding's going to look like. We start with, okay, where's our foundation? What's going to build something lasting here? And I think that that's Jesus' point in the story. When it comes to life foundations, there's only a couple of options. Remember last week it was the wide road or the narrow road. One option or the other. And here today it's option A, rock, or option B, sand. So if those are the options, what, of each, what do each one of those look like? Look back in verse 24 with me. Verse 24. Jesus says, if you want to build your life on a rock, build it on me. Here's Jesus being purposely arrogant again. Build it on me and my teachings. Now be careful here. When you say that, you're like, okay, I've based my life on Jesus and his teachings, but there's a danger here. When Jesus says that, he's not just saying, do you know my teachings? He's saying, do you know my teachings? Have you digested them? Have you wrestled with them? Have you explored them? And are you living them out? Jesus says, whoever knows my teachings and puts these things into practice. Puts these things into practice. It's, it's way more than just, oh, I can quote some Bible verses. It's way more than, oh, I've been to that Bible study before. It's way more than just you or I showing up here for an hour a week every single Sunday. Oh, we, we love it that you're here. And keep coming back and keep inviting people. But is that what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter seven? I kind of put in my time with you each week, Jesus? Jesus is saying if you want to build your life on the right foundation, it's not just about hearing. It's about doing. It's about bend you know those bendy straws? I was thinking about that this week. You know the straws, and then they can kind of go, you can see them at gas stations, you know what I'm talking about? Jesus is saying, take your life and bend it around mine conform your life to mine. Everything that's going on in your life, every decision that you have, make it like one of those little bendy straws and bend it around my life. Bend it around my life, my entire life, all of my decisions around him. And so I was thinking, you know, is Jesus really arrogant here? What kind of person says, everything that you do, is all about me? It's all about me and I was thinking about that but we have to remember that when you're the master of the universe you can say things like that. When you think about it, he's the one that created you. He's the one that created you. He knows you better today than you know yourself. And in fact, he knows everybody better than they know themselves. And the truth is when it's from the God of the universe it's true. We can take it as truth. And the truth is, wise people are the ones who start with his teachings and they put them into practice in their lives. So my definition of a rock would be this. A life built on Jesus and his teachings. Not, do I know them, but am I walking them out? That's what a rock-solid life looks like. So if that's the rock, then what is sand? What would it look like to build your life on sand? And so here's what I would say. Sand is organizing my life instead around me and my instincts, right? we kind of look at scripture as our guide, building your life on sand is building it around me and my instincts. It's option A or option B. And I'm just going to speak for myself right now for a second, and, and maybe some of you can relate. I'm just going to speak for me. The problem with me is me. Some of you are still thinking about that one, Okay. The problem with you is you, right? The problem with us, without God inside of us, without his spirit leading and guiding us, the problem with me is me. Then the problem with me is that I'm broken. The problem with me is that as your leader, I'm messed up. (laughs) I am messed up. I am frail. I am broken. I am imperfect. So the problem with me is me. And I'm just just talking about me. I'm not inferring anything about you. This is just just me. Um, But so often, when I think about me and my instincts, they're often misguided and misinformed. So maybe you can relate to this. I could give you thousands of examples. We could be here all day. And if I invited my wife up, we could be here for another day, telling you examples of how me, me, and my instincts are often misguided. Do you have any examples from your life? Maybe just a few. Just a few. Anybody ever made a bad decision? A poor decision? Maybe just a few. A few this week? Maybe, yeah. Have you ever been in that place where every ounce of you, your your mind, all you and your instincts were screaming, just do it, right? It's the right thing to do in the moment. And then looking back on it, that was one of the worst decisions that you could have made. And I could be here all day. I could give you thousands of examples, but I'm going to give you one. Because it's just fun to share stories, so I'll give you an idea of what happens about me and my instincts. So, here's my excuse: is that it was in high school, so that's my excuse. So, um, I'm over at a friend's house, and he he lives uh, a couple blocks from from where we do, and uh, we've been hanging out for a while. and it's Starting to get pretty late, starting to get pretty dark, and so uh, we plan on heading back to my house, which is about mm, a quarter of a mile um, the other direction across town. But really. It's going to take even less time if you take the shortcut. So, from his house to mine is actually a straight shot if you cut through all the neighbors' backyards. You can kind of see where this is going. The only problem with this is it's pitch dark. And I mean pitch dark, I mean like winter, dark of the dark, winter, January, pitch dark at night. And so, my friend, uh, Zach, he's like, "Um, come on, let's do it. It'll be fun famous last words, right? It'll be fun. I mean, I mean, what, what harm will it do? He says, we'll make it a race. Better yet, we'll, we'll make it a, a race. My house to yours, pitch dark at night, couple blocks through people's backyards. So I'm sounding like, oh, okay, that, you know, that, that'll be fun because I'm trying to play along. That'll be fun, but um, maybe let's just bring a flashlight. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's bring a flashlight. So we look around the house. No flashlight. No flashlight. There wouldn't be a flashlight, would there? So, okay, well, let's, let's just go. So here we go, a couple hooligans ready to dash across all this string of back lawns that we've never ran through even in the daylight. So we don't know what's out there. And so at the beginning, we're just running along and we're just sprinting. It's an all out sprint. It's probably, you know, kinda of like it is about outside today, forty, fifty degrees, and we're huffing and puffing, and our air's just filling, our lungs are filling with air, and we're just running full steam and it's, it's exhilarating. I mean, I'm running, this is a race, this is exciting. Now I have to tell you what happened next is quite possibly the funniest moment of my life, and so I have to share it with you, and also the most painful moment of my life, all at the same time, too. We're in an all-out sprint, and so we can't see anything in front of us, and so if suddenly just a brick wall just popped up, we wouldn't have time to slow down, okay? Well, it wasn't a brick wall that popped up. It was a giant, massive clothesline. And so there it is, and we're running full steam. And, and who, who has their clothesline up in February? Your clothes are going to freeze anyway. So his giant clothesline. I will. I will never forget this feeling, of going full steam to lying flat on your back in about .2.5 seconds. Okay. So we're, we're running along. A couple of hooligans. Woo woo. We're running. And then all of a sudden it's yo, thunk. Like that was the literal sound. Yo, thunk. And we're just laying there on our backs, probably unconscious at the time, and and we are just laughing. We are just dying laughing. I've never hurt so bad uh, in my life. And so some of you are thinking right now, I have a newfound respect for the intelligence of my pastor. Wow, that's great. Thank you for sharing that with me. But I, I probably laughed the hardest I have and I hurt the hardest that I have because I never thought I'd be literally clotheslined, right? You ever think about that? Literally, clothesline, of course we we make it home and we're covered in mud and and snow and and so we have to stop and obviously fess up um, and tell my mom what happened and and so what do you think she asked? What were you thinking? What were you thinking? But also in in all her love and compassion that was followed by, wow, I would have paid to see that. (laughs) Said something like that. But you know what our response was? She asked, what were you thinking? You know what our response was? I don't know. Yeah, we weren't, right? I don't know, I don't know, we're standing there both writhing in pain, soaking wet, covered in mud and snow, and our response is, I don't know, duh, right, it seemed right at the time, like there was nothing wrong with what we were doing, I don't know, in fact, um, let's uh, actually go back one screen there, Carrie, what were you thinking? And the response to that is, I don't know. And I want, I, want, I want you to get the full effect of this moment. So just kind of turn to your neighbor really quick and just kind of shrug your shoulders. Just get this little smirk on your face. Open up your hands and just go, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Try, try it one more time. Just really get into it. Just say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, right? I don't know. I don't know. So another scenario, you walk in and there's your four-year-old daughter. And your four-year-old daughter has permanent markers strewn across the floor from the wonderful collage that she's made on the dining room wall. And you ask, honey, what were you thinking and what does she say? I don't know, right? In her little cute voice, right? Okay, another scenario, your 13-year-old son. Uh, fill in the blank, right? Okay, uh, your thirteen-year-old son uh, shows up at your doorstep with uh, the principal of the school, and he's standing there, and you just found out that you, uh, your son, TP'd the principal of your school's house, right? And you say, "What were you thinking?" And he says, "I don't know." Oh, come on! What does he say? Uh-huh. I don't know, right? I don't know, little pig, little pig that built your house out of sticks. What were you thinking? I don't know, you got it, absolutely, foolish builder, foolish builder who built your house on sand, what were you thinking, I don't know, I don't know, right, adult, grown up, what were you thinking when you maxed out your credit card and now you can't get out of debt, what were you thinking? What were you thinking when you yelled at your wife so harshly last week that she left the house? What were you thinking? What were you thinking when you went to that website once, and then twice, and then every month, and then every week, and then every day? What were you thinking? I don't know. What were you thinking when you just sat around aimlessly with those people in your small group and the gossip, the harmless Christian gossip started to flow and you just joined right in talking about those people? What were you thinking? I don't know. I don't know. It seemed right at the time. What were you thinking when you decided that you thought being good parents was running your family ragged and running around to every activity that you possibly could, but you still can't remember the last time that you sat down for a meal together? What were you thinking? Didn't seem so bad at the time. What were you thinking? And sadly, our response to a lot of those questions is, I don't know. I don't know, it didn't seem so bad at the time. I mean, what's the big deal? What's the harm? And this, this, this Jesus thing, isn't it just a Sunday thing? Right? seems so innocent. But you start doing these things and probably your instincts were, at the time, it was, it was two thumbs up all the way. It, it seemed right. But then we know in retrospect, those things are like building your house on sand. And instead... Today, Jesus is inviting us to follow his lead, put my teachings into practice, and instead of you and your instincts, Jesus says it's about me and my spirit, me and the promptings of my spirit. And so the question is, are we going to live our lives that way? Will we live our lives that way? And ultimately, I think the whole Sermon on the Mount can come down to this question. Will I simply be an admirer of Jesus or a follower? Just think on that for a second. Let that sit. Will I simply be an admirer of Jesus or a follower? Because that's what I believe the whole thing comes down to. Will I, from a distance, will I be like one of the crowd that was gathered on the hill in Galilee that day? And will I be one of those people that is right up at the feet of Jesus saying, Jesus, I'll follow you. Whatever you want me to do, whatever you ask of me, I'll follow you. Or I will I be like the crowd member that just sits back and goes, that's a good thought. Oh, good idea, Jesus. Huh, that's something to think about. Wow, what a great guy. Will I be an admirer or a follower? When the storms in your life come, here's where the rubber meets the road, when the storms in your life come, Is Jesus on the shelf, or is he the one that you've been talking to by your side the entire time? I mean, think about it. It's really easy to admire Jesus, right? A lot of people admire Jesus. Probably the people that you know in your life that that don't want anything to do with church, don't want anything to do with Christianity, they admire Jesus. They think he's a good guy. I mean, think about some of the things that he did and said. He loved the unlovable. He forgave his enemies. He cared about the poor. He, he gave sermons for hours and nobody ever fell asleep. How could you not admire that guy? Just like some of you are doing right now. I see you. No, I'm joking. It's so easy for us to gather on a day like today and say, Wow, we admire you, God. We admire you, Jesus. You're great. It's so easy for us that when we're around people that believe what we do, we gather in this place every week and we go, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? Right? And we go back and forth and we get excited and woo! Jesus! Woo! Jesus! That's easy. That's easy. But you know what's hard? Following. It's hard stuff. But nevertheless, it's what we've been called to do. Folks, this this isn't kiddie pool Christianity. What if it was time for you to move from the kiddie pool to the deep end? What if Jesus says, it's time to stop playing the game and start following me? To move out of the kiddie pool and move in to the deep end. Because here's what I think happens. When somebody stands up in front of you and says, love Jesus more, be a better Christian. By the way, that's not what I'm saying today. There's no such thing as a better Christian. You're either following or you're not. When somebody stands up here and says, become a follower of Jesus Christ, here's where I think the pushback is. Here's where I think we pull back a little bit is because we know That if we get too close to Jesus, if we say, Jesus, I'm going to start following you every single day, not just on Sundays, but I'm going to start following you every single day, our fear is that he might ask us to do something we don't want to do. The deep end. The deep end. Maybe he's going to ask us to forgive somebody that we don't want to forgive. Maybe he's going to ask us to give up something that we'd rather just hang on to. And he's saying today, let it go. Let it go. We get scared and we pull back from this following thing because he might ask us to change the pace of our life. He might cut to the very heart of who you are and and when you say, oh, that's just who I am, what if Jesus came along and said, no, it's not. What if the real you is inside somewhere but it can't get out because it's behind this wall of fear. It's behind this wall of wounds that you've been living with your whole life. What if Jesus took you right into the middle of those wounds and you found life, freedom, joy, peace? We don't want to get too close to Jesus, again, because he might ask us to serve in a way that's just not convenient for us. It's a little bit too messy. It's a little bit too messy. What if Jesus asked you to love somebody that you didn't want to love? And so the question for us is admirer or follower. The question for us is on the sidelines or in the game. The question for us is rock or sand. I want you to look at me at the, with me at the very end of this passage. Turn to, to verse 28. Matthew 7, verse 28. And I think this is just absolutely rather uh, ironic and interesting. Matthew chapter 7, 28. Matthew 7, 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were, what were they? Amazed. Amazed. The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Okay? So you've got the whole crowd around and the crowd was amazed. Woo! Jesus! Right? Because that's easy. The crowds were amazed at his teaching. But you know what? I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind at all. I mean, great. You're amazed. But as as... As far as I've seen, as far as I've read, in this book, I don't ever hear Jesus saying, admire me. I don't ever see him saying, admire me. What I do hear him saying over and over and over and over again is, follow me. My teachings and put them in to practice and I will show you the way to life. This idea of putting into practice and stepping out in faith reminds me of a story of the greatest tightrope walker in history, and his name was Charles Blondin. Charles Blondin—he was a French dude, wee oui, wee—and oui. so he came over uh, to the United States in the 1800s, and he became very famous because he was a—he was a tightrope walker, and he put a tightrope. Charles, you are a good-looking dude. Wow. That's a squirt, I think. I'm not sure what that is. So Charles comes over and he becomes famous because he puts a tightrope across Niagara Falls. And If any of you have ever been to Niagara Falls on vacation, you know what kind of feet this is. This is crazy. And so he puts a tightrope across, 1,100 feet long, three inches in diameter. That's not very big, by the way. That's not a, a bridge. That is a tightrope and 160 feet above the water. So there's Blondin, and he's up there. And so this is literally do or die. But he did it, and the crowds went wild. Woo, Blondin! Woo, Blondin! And the crowds were amazed, and they admired him. And the crowds got bigger and bigger. I'm not making this up. And then he started to, then he, he went across in a, in a sack, and, and then he went across Niagara Falls blindfolded. He started adding in all these little tricks. Uh, one time he went across on stilts. Side by side by side, he went across on stilts. So thousands of people, thousands of people standing around admiring. Until one day, until one day when he appeared before the crowd with a wheelbarrow. And he said, friends, countrymen, I don't know what he said. Everybody, people, do you think, do you believe, do you believe that I can push this wheelbarrow across this tightrope across Niagara Falls. Oh, yeah, Blondin, woo! We believe you can. We trust you. We believe you. Awesome. Go for it. And so he did. And the crowds went wild, and hundreds and thousands of more people gathered around. Huge crowd standing around Niagara Falls. And so he goes across in the wheelbarrow, just this amazing feat, and then he comes back, and he stops, and he rolls the wheelbarrow out in front of the crowd, and he says, okay, who wants to get in? Yeah, I think that's what the crowd said too. (laughs) Who wants to get in? Guess what? Silence, yeah. Silence. No cheering, just silence. No one. No one except one. And it turns out he was his manager. He must have paid him or something, I don't know. But his manager got in because he believed in him And he acted on it. Because our behavior follows our belief. Our behavior follows our belief. And I just want you to imagine for a second what it would be like to be in the barrel. (laughs) Going across on this thin wire, on this thin rope across Niagara Falls, inch by inch, all the way across, putting your life in the hands of the Master. Jesus is saying to you and I today, will you get in the barrel? Will you get in the barrel? Will you trust your life in my hands? Not just, oh yeah, sure. No, really. Will you put your family, your schedule, your job, your marriage, your friendships, your dreams, your decisions, will you put them in my hands, Jesus says, and will you let me take you across the wire? Because here's the thing about Jesus. This is the thing about Jesus that I just love. When you get in the barrel, when you start doing life with him, he takes you somewhere worth going. Because folks, eternal life starts now. The kingdom starts now. And Jesus is inviting you today to step into that kind of life. Is it going to be easy? Absolutely not. Do you think it was easy for the guy in the middle of the wheelbarrow? (laughs) Right? It's scary and it's dark and you know what? Sometimes the storms come and the winds blow and the waves come up. It's scary. It's not easy but it's so worth going. Because he wants you to know today. I want you to know that he's the one that's going to love you who loves you like no one ever has and no one ever will. He's the one that created you. He wants the very, very best for you today. And this is my dream and, and it's happening. It's happening because it's you. How incredible to be a part of a community of apprentices. People that are actively following, and learning what it means to live like Jesus. That's what this is, a community of apprentices who even when the storms come, because he is faithful, because he is strong, because he is the rock, we will be unflappable. Let's pray.